I'd like to invite you to join me in standing, and as we do, we're standing as a prepared people with prepared hearts to hear from God himself, eager to hear what the master of the universe, what the Lord of heaven, what the Savior has to say for us, and whether you're saved or far from God or searching or seeking, all that we have to offer you here at Glenwood comes from the Word of God. And so turn with me, if you would, to 1 John 2, 18 through 27, or page 708 in a pew Bible that you can pull out there in front of you, and follow along as we read together 1 John 2, 18 through 27. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either, he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you, that you may, I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Let's pray. Father, we come as a people in need of your word and in need of truth in a world of lies and liars. Father, we need you to remind us that we know the truth, that we are called to live the truth, and we are called to discern those who do not teach the truth. Lord, I pray that we as a people will be eager to hear and quick to apply that which we will hear today through the preaching of your word. Lord, make us a people who have learned to discern truth from error, and we will give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. We are continuing this morning in our summer worship series through the book of 1 John, making our way through it. 
that we started on Memorial Day weekend and we will conclude this on Labor Day weekend. And so I invite you to have your Bibles open to follow along. You may want to even pull out that insert if you want to and follow along that way um, as we continue in a very important passage of Scripture that John has given to us. And so let's look at it together. Kelly Grant says in an article on consumer fraud, she says, it's time to keep an eagle eye on your finances. Now, why would she say that? Well, because statistics abound to indicate that consumer fraud is an ongoing issue. Experts agree that somewhere around 12% of American adults, around 32 million people, are conned out of money every year. In fact, just this last week, perhaps you read it, an article in the Kansas City Star talked about a 40-year-old woman or a woman in her 40s, lives out in Lenexa, Kansas, was scammed out of $10,000. In fact, she was the victim of scammers who pretended to represent the U.S. government and offer free government grants to loyal, tax-paying citizens. Well, she sure paid her fair share to somebody there. Some, some 15.4 million consumers were victims of identity theft last year. According to a new report from Javelin Strategy and Research, that's up 16% from 2015 and the highest figure recorded since the firm began tracking fraud instances in 2004. All of the underlying types of fraud we measure are up, said Al Pascal, a senior vice president and research director for Javelin. According to Bill Frey, a staff writer for Debt.org, he says, and I quote, the definition of consumer fraud is any instance in which an individual suffers a financial or personal loss because of unfair, deceptive, false, illegitimate, or misleading business practices. Consumer fraud, he goes on and says, targets the most naive segments of the population, with the elderly and college students being the most frequent victims. But the truth is that even the savviest consumer can be a target of consumer fraud. Listen, to avoid being ripped off, bamboozled, you must stay alert. It's time to keep an eagle eye on our finances, as Kelly Grant says. Todd Tresder, founder of FinancialMentor.com, says an educated consumer is the con man's worst enemy. It seems at least once a week there is a story in the news involving consumer fraud and their victims. And if it happens to you, repairing the damage can be very time-consuming and especially costly. And so it's important to avoid scams before you become a victim. It's traumatic when deceivers steal your identity, when deceivers steal your identity money, but there's something far more traumatic, far more tragic to avoid, and that is spiritual deception. The stakes are much higher than someone's life savings. The eternal destiny of people's souls are at risk. Since the days of the Apostle John, Satan has planted his spiritual deceivers in the church where they prey on the unsuspecting or the more naive believers in Jesus Christ. Listen, Satan does not care 
how you live or what you do as long as you reject Jesus Christ or replace Jesus Christ. And Satan will work to accomplish that through whatever means possible, including what John highlights here in our passage today. Spiritual deception. And like in John's day, we are living in an age of deception. Therefore, notice this coming up on the screen, notice this in your notes, in an age of false teachers, in false teaching, true believers must avoid this. We must avoid spiritual deception. Now the question, the obvious question is, how do we do that then? How do we, as true believers in Christ, followers of Jesus, how do we avoid the spiritual deception that is around us? How do you distinguish false teachers from true teachers? False teaching from true teaching? John tells us in 1 John 2.26, These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. This word deceive, it literally means to seduce. It's the idea of being led astray from something. And in this case, you are being led astray from the truth of God. The truth of Jesus Christ. John is warning us here. He's warning us that false teachers are going to try to seduce you and lead you astray from the truth and that we have to be on guard about it. We must be aware of it. We must avoid spiritual deception. We live in a day when spiritual truth, though, is minimized. It seems today that almost anything can pass for gospel truth. Tolerance, unity, and love are viewed as much more important values, if you will, than truth. In fact, if you affirm the truth of Jesus Christ, you are oftentimes labeled as very narrow or even bigoted. But biblical truth is never divorced from love. Make no mistake, John himself, as the apostle, he's known as the apostle of love. And yet, it's obvious here in 1 John, and in particular this passage, but really through all five of these chapters here, he is also the apostle of truth. So now you have an apostle who is known as the apostle of love, but he's the apostle of truth, and they go hand in hand. They are not divorced. Up to this point, John has called out these false teachers, but he's done so indirectly. But now he calls them out by name. He calls them antichrist. He goes so far to even call them liars. He makes it clear that they will try to deceive you. They will try to seduce you. And that as true believers, we must avoid their spiritual deception. In fact, if John was here today, he would stand and he would say something where people would mock him for this. The media in our culture would mock him for this big idea here that it is better to be divided by truth than to be, divi to be, than to be united by error. Better to be divided by truth than to be united by error. So how do we avoid the spiritual deception that is all around us? Well, John comes out and he basically says two things about it. One that unpack it for us here this morning. Number one, 
he says, be aware of the spiritual deception. And in being aware, he says, be discerning. Be discerning. Notice what John writes again in verse 18. He says, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. Now it's interesting to note once again that John addresses this warning to whom? Children. Very good. Little children, in fact, he says. As we saw this last week, this, this term refers to all believers in Jesus Christ. It's a term of love. It's a term of endearment. And it's almost as if John is writing as a spiritual father now to his little children in the faith. He loves them. He's concerned about them here in these last days, these last hours. And he knows that little children are also easily, what? Deceived. I mean, I remember as a father when my boys were rather young, man, it, it was so fun to, you know, to tease them. And, and uh, you could just, they're so gullible, right? You could just tell them anything and they almost believe it. And, and they're, they're easily deceived and you can have a lot of fun with that. But in this case, it's very serious. John knows something that we as believers in Christ, we can be gullible. We can be deceived. And he says, listen, we need to be discerning. And then John tells us why we need to be discerning. Notice this in your notes here. We are living in the last hour of deception with many antichrists around us and with the antichrist still to come. John tells us in 2 John Seven, he says this, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. This word antichrist, it means against Christ or even in the place of Christ. The primary idea in this context is that these deceivers, these antichrists, are against Christ. And as we will see in a moment, these false teachers, they're, they're almost, in essence, they're pro-Jesus, but anti-Christ. And you're like, how can that be? Exactly. Pro-Jesus, but anti-Christ. And interesting, there could be no anti-Christ if there was not the true Christ. And so, in essence, even their coming, these many antichrists, the, the fact that they're there, that they're prevalent, that there's a proliferation of them, is a witness concerning the true Christ. Now, let me unpack here just for a brief moment. The, there's three phrases that John uses in this passage that we probably need to get a better understanding of so that we can be discerning about the deception that is around us. And so notice the first phrase, this last hour phrase. What does that mean? Well, notice here, it refers to the entire time period between the first and the second comings of Jesus Christ. When John talks about the last hour, he's not talking about duration of time, as in your watch or on your phone that you look at. Rather, he's referring to more of an epic of time. So last hour doesn't mean the last 60 minutes of life on earth, but rather the entire period between Christ's first coming and his second coming that is still to take place. The last hour began back in John's day, and it has been growing in intensity ever since. Jesus warned us in Matthew 24 that as the gospel spreads, 
throughout the world, so will false teaching spread. It will increase. Paul refers to this time period as the latter times in 1 Timothy 4. And Peter calls it the last days in 2 Peter 3. And when the last hour ends, it will mark the passing away of this world in which we live, this dying world. We saw already in, the, in, in chapter 2 that this world is passing away. It's on a crash course for destruction. And there's nothing we can do to save it. And when the last hour ends, it will mark that passing away of this dying world, culminating in the return of Jesus Christ and the restoration of God's people. And so we would do well to remember that every hour, in a sense, is the last hour. And that every decision is a choice to align ourselves either with the living God or with this dying world. And so a great question even now is to ask, who or what am I aligning my life to or with? Am I aligned with the living God, or am I aligned with this dying world that is passing away? Folks, we are living in the last hour, and Jesus is coming. Number two, the second phrase here is the Antichrist. This refers to the coming world ruler energized by Satan who will seek to replace Jesus Christ. Now John makes a distinction between many antichrists who are already here and the antichrist who is coming at the end of the age. Paul describes in 2 Thessalonians 2 how the antichrist will rise to power as Satan's superman and dominate the world for the purpose of replacing Jesus Christ and opposing him. This counterfeit Christ will come on the scene of world history, and the whole world will just kind of marvel at him and will follow him and be seduced in the process of doing so. In fact, according to Revelation 13, Satan will indwell him and give him his power, his throne, and his great authority. And it even goes on and says that every nation will worship him as a, quote, God. You may be wondering, well, when is he coming? Could the Antichrist be alive even now? Well, it seems like all the evil leaders in the world were thought at one time to be the Antichrist, from Napoleon to Adolf Hitler to Saddam Hussein, and I'm pretty sure every president since John F. Kennedy has been called the Antichrist, whether Republican or Democrat. Whether he is alive or not, I do not know. Only God knows. Here's what we do know, though. Is the Antichrist will come, and many Antichrists have already come. In fact, Many Antichrists, who are they? What are they? Well, notice this in your notes. Many Antichrists refers to false teachers who embody the spirit of the Antichrist. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, in fact, next Sunday, Pastor Chris will preach and kind of do a part two of this, this idea of false doctrine and false teachers. And he will dissect for us chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, more in detail. But if you go over there, you'll notice even now in verse 3 of chapter 4, John talks about this spirit of the Antichrist. And here in our text, in John 2, 22, John makes plain what the spirit of the Antichrist is all about. 
He basically says these false teachers are liars who distort the truth of Jesus Christ. In other words, they twist it. And their strategy is deceptive. It's seductive. Now, they don't directly oppose Jesus Christ. Instead, they redefine him. And they will leave just enough truth in there to deceive you if you're not discerning. They will say stuff like, oh, he's good, but he's not God. He may be a son of God, like we can be sons and daughters of God, but he is not the true son of God. He may have died on the cross as a martyr, but he did not die as our Savior. False teachers always diminish the person of Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ. The core truth of Christianity is just that. That is the core gospel. The person and work of Jesus Christ. That if you get it wrong there, you get everything else wrong. Now, while these false teachers in John's day, they weren't promoting necessarily our modern day cliche that we sometimes hear, that even though we don't believe the same things about Jesus, we still worship the same God. I'm sure you've heard that said once or twice. But the root error is still the same. And such tolerance is intolerable to John. Yes, we are to love our enemies. We are to love people that are far from God, who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But love does not tolerate false teaching about Jesus Christ for the sake of, quote, unity. It calls it out. It calls it what it is. And that's what John is doing here. And John tells us to be aware of their deception, to be discerning. Don't be duped by their false teaching. So how can we identify a false teacher? How can we tell the difference between a false teacher and a true teacher? Well, John says in this passage here that there are three marks of a false teacher, of a mini-antichrist, if you will. Notice the marks of a false teacher. First mark is false teachers depart from the truth of, or depart from the church of Jesus Christ. Now, in some of your notes, or maybe in all of your notes, I have this, the, I forgot, I neglected to reverse, change the order of them. So this is actually probably number two in your notes if you're following along. So please forgive me for that. Um, so the first mark is false teachers depart from the church of Jesus Christ. John says these false teachers rise up from within the church and then they depart from the church. Notice what it says in verse 19. John writes, he says, they, referring to the false teachers now, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest. And that word manifest it's interesting, that's the same word that John uses in reference to Jesus Christ when he was born, came to the earth, was born, manifested forth. He was made in the flesh, revealed, if you will. And it's the same thing here, exposed or made known that none of them were of us. And you immediately see the contrast between they and us. And it's striking. The, the us here refers to the church of Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the church, and the they refers to the false teachers. And John says that these false teachers, what did they do? They went out from us. That is, they left the church. And John says the reason that they left the church 
is they were not of us. They were not part of us. One of the marks of a false teacher is they will not continue in the church of Jesus Christ. Eventually, they will depart from the church. They'll depart from it spiritually. And many times, they depart from it physically. And if they don't depart from it physically, they then try to take over a church, a local church. But in essence, they have departed from the true church of Jesus Christ. They will leave the biblical teaching of the church. And this defection, John says, reveals their true colors. It reveals who they really are as a false teacher. Or as John says, they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. And so their departure is a clear sign that they were never really part of us to begin with, regardless of what, what, what they once professed. In other words, John is saying they were never truly saved to begin with. They were not true believers. That's why one of the evidences of a true believer is this passion, is this desire within us to participate in the church and remain in the church. You may wonder, well, what's the big deal about that? This desire. A heart's desire to be part of the body of Christ. To remain in it and continue with it. Well, there's two implications of that directly tied to this passage of what John is saying. He's saying true believers reveal who they really are because they continue in the fellowship of the church of Jesus Christ. Whereas the opposite is true. False believers reveal who they really are because sooner or later they depart from the church. They leave. And in leaving, they reveal their true heart. So the first mark of false teachers is they depart from the church, the second mark is, and it's the reason why they depart from the church, is they deny the truth of Jesus Christ. The reason false teachers left the church in John's day is because they had left Jesus Christ. They denied the truth of Jesus Christ. And this is the great doctrine that sets Christianity apart from all other religions. Listen, Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. Why? So that He could pay for our sins with His death on the cross. They no longer believed the apostles' teaching about Jesus Christ. They denied what the apostles have taught. They denied the incarnation of Christ. They denied the humanity, in other words, and they denied the deity of Jesus Christ. And John says that to deny the Son of God is to deny the Father who sent Him. In other words, John is saying this is a package deal. John makes crystal clear in verses 22 and 23. Look what he writes. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? In other words, the Messiah, the sent one, the Son of God. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not even have the Father he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And so the key question here this morning for every one of us is, what do you believe about Jesus Christ?
listen, there are people even today, it is prominent in our culture today and even in churches today to say that we all worship the same God, we just disagree about Jesus. And John says that's a lie. You can't choose God and then reject Jesus Christ. You can't believe wrongly about Jesus and then be in a right relationship with God the Father. John says that is an impossibility. Paul says, or uh, let, me, let me go back, one New Testament scholar, he says this. He, in fact, he's right on target when he says this. To deny that Jesus is the Christ is to deny that he is the Son of God. To reduce Jesus to the status of a mere man or to, to allow no more than a temporary indwelling of some divine power in him is to strike at the root of Christianity. And so John says that the last days now will be marked by all of this. Will be marked by an increase of attacks on Jesus Christ by false teachers, or by these, quote, antichrists, as John calls them. In fact, you go to the Apostle Paul's writings, and he says that this age in which we live in is marked by people leaving the faith. He says in 1 Timothy 4.1, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And so beware of anyone who departs from the faith in Jesus Christ and the fellowship of his church to form a, quote, new group with new truth that others have somehow missed in the past. When you hear of that, your, your radar, red lights need to be going off. This brings us to the last mark of false teachers. They will try to deceive true believers of Jesus Christ. False teachers don't just lead passively and quietly. Instead, they actively try to sway others to leave with them. It's interesting to observe that false teachers rarely try to lead, quote, lost people to their false religion. Almost always, they try to convert believers to their false doctrines. Why? Because they're within the church. They're not outside. No wonder, John says then in verse 26, these things I have written to you. Why? So you can be discerning concerning those who try to deceive you. And so Satan's purpose behind every false teacher, every false religion, is to deceive you, to seduce you in order to lead you astray from the truth of Jesus Christ. Remember, it's always better to be divided by truth than to be united by error. And I know that it's not culturally acceptable. But John says, who cares? We're living in the last hour, and the deception around us is real. It's dangerous, and it's increasing. Therefore, be discerning, he says, little children. But it's not enough just to be discerning. And that's why John goes on. And he gives us this second point, if you will. Number two, he says, be aware of the spiritual protection. Yes, we have a protection. Be abiding in it. Be abiding. Be discerning, but you better be abiding as well. The proliferation of these false teachers could easily discourage us. 
They're in the church. And after all, they are committed to our defeat. However, we should not despair. John tells us in 1 John 4, 4, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? He tells us in 1 John 2, 24, If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And so John's strategy here for combating spiritual deception can be summarized in this one word, abide. This is one of the defining marks of true believers in Jesus Christ. True believers abide. They abide in the truth of Jesus Christ. Five times here, in four verses, John calls us to abide. That word is the same idea as remain is often what is commonly referred to as perseverance or even endurance. In Colossians 1.23, Paul identifies true believers as those who continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. Jesus said in Mark 13.13, 13, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Hebrews 3.14 says, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. You say, what does all this mean? It means true believers abide. They abide in the truth of Jesus Christ and they persevere in their faith until the end. It means perseverance is the hallmark of all true believers. It's not enough to say that we once believed. Oh, I said a prayer and that's good enough. No, it is necessary that we continue to believe. It means that those who truly belong to Jesus will remain in Jesus because, as Jude 1 says, we are kept for Jesus. And that is God's promise to us. That is the preservation of believers by God Himself. We persevere, God preserves. It's an awesome combination there. But I give more weight, a whole lot more weight to God's preservation because God is in us by the Spirit of God as we're going to see here. As true believers who abide, John reminds us that we have two safeguards now against Satan and his Antichrist. Look at these two safeguards. Number one, first of all, we have the authority of the Scriptures. Folks, we have God's revealed word right here. This is our authority. And so because we have this as our safeguard, you know what John says? Abide in it. Abide in the word of God. In verse 24, he says, Therefore, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. And what did they, what did they hear from the beginning? Well, in John's day, they heard the teaching of the apostles about Jesus Christ, which is now recorded for us in the Scriptures. We now have the authority of God's Word today. And Jesus said in John 8, 31, If you abide in my Word, 
you are my disciples indeed. Paul writes in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And so there's this twofold thing going on here. It's important that we abide in the word, but it's interesting that John actually says, and, and the Apostle Paul actually reverses it and says, let the word of God do what? Abide in us. So we abide in the word. We study it, we know it, we hear it taught and preached, but then we have an obligation to let that word abide in us. Often the founders of false religions claim to have some special knowledge, some new revelation about Christ and the way of salvation beyond what God has already revealed in His word. In 2 John 1.9 warns about the danger of, quote, new doctrine when John writes, whoever transgresses, and all that word is saying, whoever goes ahead and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. And so the opposite of abiding in the Word of God, or what John says, what you have heard from the beginning, is to believe in some new truth. To believe in some special knowledge that a false teacher is claiming to have offered by such people as, in the past, like Charles Russell, who is the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses, or Mohammed of Islam, or Joseph Smith of Mormonism, or Mary Baker Eady of Christian Science, and there's a plethora of others. If someone comes along with something new or something that contradicts God's Word, listen, it's not to be trusted. In other words, if it's, quote, new, it's not true. And the way we know it's not true is to abide in the Word of God. And then let it abide in us. But we also have a second safeguard. One that is often overlooked. We have the anointing of the Spirit. So abide in the Spirit of God. If you go back to verse 20, look what John writes. He says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Now, what in the world is he talking about there? What is this, quote, anointing? Well, it's simply the gift of the Holy Spirit that we received at salvation from the Holy One, which probably refers to Jesus Christ himself. In other words, at the moment of salvation, everyone receives the Holy Spirit. You don't have to seek an anointing. You already have it. You don't have to get some second portion of the Spirit or some second blessing from the Spirit because you already have all of the Holy Spirit that you're ever going to receive. And you received it at the moment of your salvation. Look what John says about the Spirit now in verse 27. But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you dwells within you. And so another idea of this word abide is the, is the idea of dwelling, remaining in. The Spirit remains in us, dwells in us, makes a home in our lives. And you do not need that anyone teach you. Now, John's not saying that you don't need to come to church and listen to teachers in preaching. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying you don't need false teachers to teach you because you have the truth of God. You don't need to some false teacher to teach you some new truth. No, you have the Spirit of God who guides and teaches you. 
But at the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and it is true, and it is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. False teachers in John's day, and it's still the truth, in, or it's the same thing in our day, usually use two words to describe their experience. Almost always together, knowledge and anointing. I got special knowledge and I have this anointing. Many times they claim to have special anointing from God that gives them this unique and special knowledge. But John points out that all believers have received the Spirit of God who teaches us truth. In other words, it enables us, the Holy Spirit of God enables us to discern between truth and error. That is a wonderful promise, is it not? In this day and age of deception, you have a safeguard. You have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, what's even greater than that, what I love here at the end, it, right in the middle of these two safeguards, John gives us this promise. And this promise is phenomenal. He gives us this promise from God to those who abide as true believers. And you're like, what's the promise? Oh, look at it. John tells us in verse 25 what this promise is. And this is the promise that he has promised us. And what is it? Eternal life. Is that not the best promise in all the world? And, and you thought the Royals winning yesterday was going to be a great promise. Nah. Now this, this is a great promise. Here's what I think is going on here. If I can try to get into the mind of John as this elderly apostle who's in the last, latter days of his life, He's a spiritual father figure, if you will. And I think John knows something about life as a true believer. And he's trying to impart this, this wisdom to these little children, these believers. And I think John knows that this abiding in this age of deception is not easy. He knows the deception is increasing. He knows these deceivers are prevalent. And so John, it's like he holds up this banner for us. And this banner is the promise of God. And he holds this banner up for us daily as motivation to persevere and to abide and not give up. Don't be duped. As a loving father, John is pleading with us as little children, to abide in the truth, and to avoid spiritual deception. Don't be deceived. Instead, be discerning and be abiding. And then John reminds us, listen, if you will commit to that, if you will hold true to that, this is your promise. This is the motivation. This is what God guarantees you. You have the promise of what? Eternal life. And it's not something that you gained or you have earned. It's not necessarily dependent upon you. It's dependent on God. God has promised us. He has given it to you. And it is what we hold on to, the promise of eternal life. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to save us from our sins. Amen? 
so that we could have this eternal life. This is the most relevant message one could ever hear. In fact, it makes everything else irrelevant if you don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ. The most relevant thing for you to know is that you are a sinner, but because of God's great love for you, Jesus came in the flesh to die on the cross for sinners like you. There is no hope apart from Jesus Christ. And so John, he pleads then, repent of your sin if you haven't done so, and trust in Jesus for your salvation so that you can claim the promise of eternal life. As true believers, then John also pleads, continue be discerning, be abiding, so that you can overcome the Antichrist. Being confident that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Antichrist have indeed come. But folks, do you know what? There is something greater than that. Something more important than the Antichrist have already come. Do you realize Jesus Christ has come? And he is coming again. And so abide. Abide in the Word of God. Abide in the Spirit of God so that you will not be duped by these antichrists and be led astray from the truth of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning and we are such needy people, but Lord, you have provided for every one of our needs, most of all our sin need, our need for a Savior in your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, help us to see our need. Open up our eyes, open our heart to see that we need Jesus. Give us the faith to confess Him as our Lord and Savior. And for those who have already done so, Lord, open our eyes to the deception of the Antichrist. Let us not be duped in being led astray, but let us hold firm to the truth of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for what you are doing and will do. We look forward to the day when your son comes to restore all things. And so, Lord, help us to abide and persevere till then. Praise team's going to sing. And as they do, I don't know how God is working at your heart, working in your heart, tugging at your heart, whatever the case may be. I plead with you to respond. Right where you're seated, will you pray? Reach out, cry out to Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins for the first time or maybe you need it again now or just to recommit your life. Lord, help me to be discerning and abiding.